Hello, welcome to the final episode of Rahalastapa. This series with Mark Steele. Uh, we'll there'll be a couple of specials coming up at least uh, between now and September, but there's going to be a little bit of a quiet time, and those will be audio only from the Macarthur Festival and from uh, the Wells Comedy Festival. So. Uh, Hope you will enjoy those little extras coming out. Um, but series 14 starts uh, on September 24th when we're recording. Got a very exciting guests from America for that first one. And hopefully lots of other exciting people coming up. So go to lessquaretheatre.com, buy tickets in advance so you don't miss out when the names are announced. If you become a drip store or a badger, of course, you get the names of uh, the guests before everyone else. D.rip slash Richard hyphen herring or gofasterstrike.com slash badgers, as well as helping us to pay for the series and you also get backstage interviews and enter into competition um, and lots of other little benefits as well uh, if you're a dripster you get uh, one of my stand-up shows every two months for free well you know on top of what you paid <laughs> anyway um thanks to everyone who came to this last year and uh, contributed to make it a success uh, we do need to raise some money for the next series because the yearly amount of money from Badgers and Dripsters isn't going to quite cover it, but they we have covered those that first series via all oh, you lovely lot, so thanks for that. And remember my emergency questions book, the new one with 1,001 questions, 700 of which have not appeared in print before, will um, be out in October, so by that, the money from that will go to me for once. That's right. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this excellent podcast with the very clever and lovely Mark Steele. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. It's the last show of the series. Everyone's boarding games. Please welcome a man. <laughs> Please welcome a man who is shooting blue sperm over George the Sandman as we speak. It's Richard Harris. <laughs> yo, yo. Hello, welcome to Restraining the Square Theatre Podcast. Um, uh, I was talking to some fans of As It Occurs To Me, the uh, 2011 podcast the other day. Uh, they call it Rehalistopus. I don't know if that's, that's going to catch on. It's the last one of the series. We're waiting to find out if we've been recommissioned, so fingers crossed. Uh, and um, uh, I, was, uh, I was at King's Cross. I come down from King's Cross because um, I live in Hertfordshire now and came on the train... And when you get there, there's loads of people standing outside the Harry Potter shop. You've seen this in King's Cross because there's, there's a wall and it says platform nine and three quarters on it. And people then queue up to have their photo taken by that for ages. Like there's a massive, it's like you think, oh God, what's going on? There's a crowd, there's a massive crowd of people. I was just thinking if there's ever a terrorist attack on King's Cross, loads, that's going to be the last thing loads of people do. <laughs> Imagine that getting to heaven going, what, what were you doing when you died? Oh, I was having my... Photo taken outside an imaginary platform that doesn't exist. It was worth it, wasn't it, mate? Well done. Uh, so, um, don't like jokes about terrorism here in London, but everywhere else in the country, they're fucking laughing their asses off. That's the good thing about living in the country. Wait, you wait, you wait, you'll see Richard Herring. Uh, so, um, and uh, I was watching, uh, I was, I was watching uh, Beat Bugs. Anyone fan of Beat Bugs in? No, I'd never seen it either. I was it's on Netflix. Uh, my daughter wanted to watch it, and it's like anthropomorphized uh, insects. Can never say that word, insects. And um, <laughs> and it sort of opens, and they all sing "All You Need Is Love" by the Beatles. You go fucking hell! How did they afford to get the rights to this? Then the whole show 
is insects singing songs by the Beatles. I can't think, what would John Lennon think about this if he was alive, if he'd lived to see this travesty? But you're not in control, are you? It's like Charles Dickens with the Muppet Christmas Carol. What would he think of that if he came, once he'd got over the technological aspect of there being puppets, first of all, and then film puppets? I think, I think Charles Dickens would hate the Muppets Christmas Carol, but I, do, I think he would, and it's better than the Christmas Carol. No, it's weird. It's kind of weird to think that you're not in control. It's not just an interesting thing. It's not a, a comedy routine. It's interesting to think that your, you know, your artistic legacy, like this podcast is similar to the Beatles, uh, might be appropriated in 50, 60 years' time by someone else. Would you be happy? Would you think... I mean, the Beatles did a cartoon, didn't they? Was, do you remember that? David, you remember the Beatles cartoon? No! Anyone remember the Beatles cartoon? Yeah, there was one. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, it's, it was better than that shit. A load of shit. Sell out shit. But there we go. It's just, it's just interesting. Anyway, so let's crack on. Just, I'm as interested in artistic vision. You're not as interested in it as I am, because you're not artistic like I am. <laughs> it's got like Sia in it and uh, Regina Spector. They must have spent a lot of money on this show for like little kids. It's fucking shit. Um, so <laughs> I'd be few. I'm, what I'm saying is, John, if I was Jen Lott, John Lennon, I'd be glad that I was shot in the head. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> And I didn't have to see that. There we go, I knew there was something in there somewhere, so... Oh, so it's all right to laugh about John Lennon being assassinated, but when it's you might be killed by ISIS, suddenly you shut up, don't you? Hypocrites. I hope ISIS kills all of you tonight. <laughs> so this was when the series turned. <laughs> it was going so well for Richard Eric until he... He basically supported a terrorist networks. <laughs> I can understand why they would. It's all, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so anyway, that's the kind of thing that Ben Walker would be worried about, Dave, if he was producing, but uh, Dave's made a song of stuff. <laughs> what I'm saying, Ice, is if you're listening at home, come and have a fucking go if you think you're hard enough. To get our, if you think you can kill our audience, you've got another thing. Come and try, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Edit that bit, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably be okay up here. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> our guest this week is probably best known as Ski Man from the Time Slides episode of Red Dwarf. Yeah, many of people remembering that. And also, he is the only semi-professional Andrew Collings lookalike working in the... <laughs> we're working in the country today. <laughs> Will you please welcome Mark Steele, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Mark Steele. Thank you. That's, um, that's always good warm-up practice to get ISIS in. <laughs> <laughs> there's, not enough, there's not enough ISIS jokes on, on mainstream television. They should start the news with it, shouldn't they? <laughs> well, lots of things have happened in the economy, but first of all, here's an ISIS joke. Yeah. Yeah. People say you joke about Jesus and Easter, but would you joke about ISIS? Yes, I would, but, yeah. but yeah. my producer will edit it out, so this isn't helpful. Uh, so... <laughs> Do you think they, do you think they sort of, when they're looking for targets, yeah. they'll be somewhere in what's left of their caliphate? Look, this fucker, what do you say about us? 
I'm very but helpful. That's how I, they I've, actually, them. I've given quite a lot of good terrorist I- atrocity ideas in this podcast over the yeah, years. Yeah. So they actually quite they like owe me. You a they owe you a few I was painted that one. Yeah. <laughs> so they have used a couple of them. So uh, it's... <laughs> They haven't done the. I came up with a good one, which Barocca. You can have explosives in a Barocca that you just put in water on a plane and then shake it up and bang. That would work, wouldn't it? That's a good one. And uh, breast implants, explosives. They haven't done that one yet. Oh yes, yeah. I've got loads of good ideas. If, if anyone, if anyone from ISIS is listening, wants to seriously, sorry about the stuff earlier. That was just a joke. But if you want, to, don't kill me because I've got some good ideas. That would at least be imaginative on their part, wouldn't it? What? That would at least be imaginative on their yeah, part. Yeah, if well, they use breast implants, yeah. people would be going, well, it's terrible. But on the other end, you know, you've got <laughs> credit where it's due. Yeah. <laughs> I th- you'd spot the blokes coming, though, wouldn't you? Uh, so, um... <laughs> Do you get uh, mistaken for the broadcaster Andrew Collins very much? All the time, all the <laughs> bloody time. Yeah, even my own family. <laughs> Andrew, where's Dad? They say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and do you do you remember? Uh, it's nice. It feels it feels like we've done a lot of podcasts together already, yeah, Mark. Yeah. I feel very relaxed. Yeah. Um, do you remember being in that Red Dwarf? Well, vaguely, this was about 30 years ago. Yeah. I can't remember why I got asked to go on it, and it was, it, I was on it for, a, I just, I don't know what I did even. I think I had to dress up as a, in a skiing thing. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I, and that, that was it. And then they sort of took a picture of me or something, and then that was, uh, that anyone, was it. Anyone know? Surely not, even the there most There must be some freaky. Red Dwarf fans in who know every single thing. I have been waiting for my moment. <laughs> it's an episode where... Uh, they can go inside photographs. They can go inside photographs. Oh, no. And Andrew... And, sorry, get Mark. <laughs> yeah. They did... They did think it was Andrew, <laughs> and I, I got there, and they went, oh, fuck, I got the wrong one. Well, I tell you what I get mistaken for is Mark Thomas. I get mistaken for all the time. <laughs> right. And uh, to this extent, right, this was the finest example of being mistaken for Mark Thomas. The Radio Times, one week, honestly, it said, had my radio show advertised, and it said, 6.30, Mark Steele's in town, weekly show in which comedian Mark Thomas tours the town. <laughs> it honestly said that. And there's something about Mark. So I once had to introduce uh, Mark. Um, now I've said all these Marks, I can't think of his name. And he's, a, he's my friend, the Bristol comedian, Mark Watson. Right. And, uh, and I, it was in Bristol, and it, everyone had come to see him. And as I was introducing him, I was about to say Mark Thomas, and then I had to think within, and my brain went... As I was saying, please welcome to the stage, Mark. What? And it did come out as Watson, but it took. But my brain was very confused. Yeah, so it must be the Marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of Marks in comedy. Two yeah. marks. That's yeah. There was two. There were two marks on there. This would be, you know, when the the, the my dad was a wrote porno thing. Yeah. And they're doing the Albert Hall. Yeah. I wonder if they've got a, a more of that. That's a clue of how to do a podcast more than if we turn this into a, go, a quiz game. <laughs> <laughs> and now, welcome to how many people in comedy have this name? Yeah. This week, Ding Ted. <laughs> There's a TV show that is that now, so it's a slow burn. I've got an idea for a yep. podcast. Go on, what is it? Before we get to talking about other things, right? See if this this. What do you reckon on this? I've had loads of discussions with people, and you can throw in any people that you want on this, right? 
whether someone is a cunt or a wanker. <laughs> now, I, this, I think you, I, the other night I was in the pub and I just mentioned this. Within quarter of an hour, there were arguments going all round the pub. Honestly, Boris Johnson, he's a cunt. No, 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 he's a wanker. He hasn't his clue. No, he knows what he's doing. He's a cunt. And, it was, and you could throw in anyone, Eric Bristow, anyone you like. And what you... And the... What, you, what you're aiming for yep. here, Richard, right, is the jackpot is to get someone who is both. And, <laughs> and they are really rare. Yep. I can, I mean, Blair, I think, is the epitome of this. <laughs> I think he's both. Yeah. But there's very, it's very, very rare. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's that's good, def- isn't it? There's definitely mileage in that. I think, well, I did suggest it as a Radio 4 panel show. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Robinson, if only he was still around. Ah, cunt or wanker. What did it were, Mr Nesbitt? No, indeed. Noel Edmonds is a cunt. We move on. <laughs> Brilliant, wasn't it? It's very good. Um, so you have been working as a stand-up comedian since yeah. 1982. Yeah. This is ages. Yeah, well, isn't a it? A long time. Yeah. Um, and you don't like to talk about what you were doing before. No, you just get fed up of people asking you, what, what brought you into oh, stand-up? Oh, God, yeah, well, I so did. you make up lots. I did, yeah, yeah, no, that's... Oh, well spotted. No, I did do this a few years ago. Well, it, this started because I was asked... One of the first sort of... I don't know, one of the biggest things I've been asked to go on, I think, it was midweek at the time, back in... I don't know, back in about 1990 time. Uh, midweek with Libby Purvis. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's a big thing. And then the some researcher, you know, the score with these things. So a researcher rings up and they ask you various things that might crop up on the programme. And this researcher said, well, have you done... Um, uh, how did you get started in comedy? And I said, oh, it's just not very interesting. Because it really isn't very interesting. It's most of us have got... A, we just fancied doing it. We saw someone we thought I'd like to do I said, it's just not very interesting. Then you bring up some theatres and clubs and all that. And then she said, well, you know, we'd like to talk about it. I said, it's not. I said, I could make something up if you like, but, you know, that, there's no point in that. She said, well, go on, do that then. I said, well, all right then. I said, right, my dad, right, was Polish. And, <laughs> and he, were, he was a manager at, uh, at this plant, a car plant in Poland. And I used to have to go over there with him every Christmas and he'd have to make a speech. And then it's the tradition in Poland that when the manager of a car plant makes a speech... To all the people in the room, that their son has to get up and say something as well. And that, funny, I don't know if you know this about Polish, but one of the easiest ways to learn Polish is to learn the jokes. So I got up and I told a couple of Polish jokes, and they went down so well that I was booked to do a regular slot at the canteen uh, during the lunch break in a nearby vodka factory, right? So. Anyway, I just said this, right? Anyway, I've thought nothing more of it. And about three days later, I was on the, on the air. I hope this exists somewhere. And then it comes, they've, you know, Libby's talked to someone who's, you know, gone up and down the Thames on a bath or something or discovered a new species of giraffe or who's on the programme. And then she says, and now I turn to, uh, turn to a comedian who did but Mark Steele, you had a rather extraordinary start to the world of comedy. I said, did I? Though, well, Mark's being rather, uh, uh, rather obtuse, a little bit modest, if I may say. Uh, I can tell the, the listeners, no, Mark. 
Mark started uh, with his father as a Polish team. I was no, no. And she read all this out. Nearby vodka factory. So uh, from then on, I thought, I'm going to keep doing this. And I, I, I wish I'd kept them, but I've got... I've done loads of these, and they get printed. I told one local paper, I said, uh, oh, well, I've always been really scared of flying, and I found that one of the only ways that I could keep calm was I'd just rattle out jokes. And there was once, uh, there was a really severe bit of turbulence on a plane, and I just rattled out so many jokes, the whole, everyone, they, everyone just started laughing. The captain heard about it, they said that was a really calm, calm load of passengers given the amount of turbulence. And someone said, yeah, there was a bloke there telling loads of jokes. So I got booked to do a regular slot on the London to Dublin <laughs> shuttle service. And I got, and then I, I kept doing this, right? and it's a, and the bollocks, the floors, think of the floors in that. <laughs> And then there was, um, oh, what was I did one where I said, oh, I used to play football for Bexley Academicals. Right? I didn't make, and uh, I was terrible. I was so bad, we'd always be 2-0 down at half-time. And then I'd tell a load of jokes during the half-time interval, and it spurred the team on so much, we'd always win 3-2. And, I, and um, loads and loads of these, I'd, I'd they just get they no one go, why don't you tell the jokes before the first half? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. The holes in the plot, there are so many, aren't there? Like an episode of Crossroad. Why didn't you... I just find with the local newspapers, they make enough mistakes on their own anyway. You'll say I something and then so, it just yeah. goes, why did you say anything like that? There was that? one, oh, what was it? I'm not going to remember this right. It was, um, it was... Oh, it was one of these, yeah, she rang up, oh, bless her, one of the thoughts. She, it was Maidstone, obviously, she was Maidstone advertiser. And she just, obviously, just bored, so you know, clue I was. And she said, she's got a load of questions. She said, have you ever been to Kent before? One of those sorts of supermarket checkout voices. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I was, I was brought up in Kent. She said, oh, right, well, um, uh, what, do, what, what, how did you get started in comedy? So I thought, oh, here we go. I said, I said well, I used, to, I used to work on the Gravesend Tilbury Ferry. And, uh, uh, and you know you have to do all them stupid, them poor people. You know, on your left, you'll see Dartford. On your right, going up to the Isle of Shetland. Right? So I used to liven it up by telling jokes about the Essex people. right? And the Kent people loved it, but the Essex people hated it. And then there'd be fights and everything. But I got, so I got the sack, but I was booked up to do a regular slot in a comedy club in Sittingbourne because it could become so funny. And they, they, printed, they printed this. <laughs> oh, that's right. And then she said, then she said, uh, and um, uh, she says, it says here you've written the book. Can you tell me what the book's about? And I said, well, it's a, it's a children's book. I wrote a children's book. But um, I just thought there's a gap in the market here, really, because a lot of people say that with the kids' books, children's books, there's not enough swearing in them. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, uh, you know, and I just thought uh, kids would love it, you know, not if kids, not enough kids reading books these days, and they'd love it more if it was, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk was like, free fucking beans, you twat, you fucking, <laughs> fucking mad, you know, fucking cow, and you've got that, what the fuck use is that, you fucking man. And uh, <laughs> she said, <laughs> she all got printed, Mark's, Mark's controversial career continues. As he <laughs> You've got a book deal. There's plenty of the books. Uh, so, you, you start, were you in there? You, you were in the kind of thick of it of the, of the 80s alternative comedy then. So, you saw, you were yeah. on with all these kind of crazy acts and they, that I'm always fascinated about in the oh, 80s. Oh, now I'm glad you say that, Richard, because that is absolutely. There's a myth about um, at the 80s comedy scene that it was all sort of very uber political, but it wasn't that at all. It was 
It was variety, really. Mm. It was, in fact, one of the main gigs was called New Variety, and it was a sort of slightly modernised version of what was the the old music hall, in a way. Strangely, yeah. I mean, uh, um, but. So, yeah, it was absolutely crazy acts, absolutely bonkers. It was brilliant. I mean, you must have caught some of them. I, you know, we would we, yeah, have sort of ice, the Iceman and... Yeah, 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 yeah the know, Iceman. There's people like... For people who don't know. He was a man who just had a big block of ice that he lay down on, well, yeah. and melted. That was his act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there was a brilliant thing in there, wasn't there, where, where <laughs> there's about, for about a minute, it, the audience is like, what's this? And then they thought, oh, it's funny, because he's, you know, he, he's doing this, and then he's going to do something. <laughs> and then at about six minutes, it was, <laughs> fuck's sake. <laughs> it's just such a complicated, you know, like the, the, the part of the heart funniness was just imagine him getting the ice to the venue. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> Stuck in the taxi. <laughs> oh, fuck. Fucking dripping. Can you hurry up, mate? Or hurry fast. I hope you're mopping that up at the back. <laughs> didn't, yeah, didn't realise he's getting, he's getting the act for free in his mirror. <laughs> are, there any, are there any that you remember that, that don't get spoken of very much? Oh, God, I'm not too good. There was one, I remember one day I was somewhere, I think it was cold, Essex University, and there was a bloke, a Geordie bloke, it was a nice bloke, but he was, he was an escapologist. And uh, he did this act. I was going on after him, and he said, I'll come out. We introduce each other. I'll come out. I'll do this thing in a sack, right? I'll get out the sack, and then I'll introduce you. I said, all right. So I've gone sort of back behind the curtains, and I'm waiting for him. Oh, this was much one of the first gigs I'd done out of London. And he's got some student out. Uh, the elite, the team, you know, suck. Now, this bloke's done all that. And then he's got a minute or two minutes or something. And I'm just sort of peeking through the curtains and I can see this student sort of still stood there and time. I thought, God, he's dragging this on for theatrical sort of <laughs> reasons. And then eventually there's a murmuring, a murmuring. Then I, then I hear this voice from in the middle of a sack. Mark, are you there? Can you come and get me out, man? I'm fucking, I'm fucking stuck. I'm not joking. I'm fucking stuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of walk on on the next act. You know? <laughs> Fuck it, I can't hang on. You've done it a bit tight, mate. <laughs> fucking stuck on a fucking breeze, man. <laughs> It'd be good if that was his act every time, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what the next act does. God, I don't um, know. There were some terrible ones. I used to do the uh, comparing at a place called the um, Canal Cafe Theatre, which oh, yeah, is yeah. a lovely place, Little Venice. And that was... Uh, it was a sort of mixture of people there, but a lot of the time it was it was a sort of open mic thing. But yeah. whereas I think now the open mic nights, most of the people doing it, they've got enough people to copy, haven't they? That they all trying to, yeah. I don't mean to be disparaging about some are probably very good, but they they're trying to do some copy someone that they know yeah. or something. Uh, but they do at least know how to. But then the people were just all over the place, mad. <laughs> and there was a, it was really going bad one night. And then there was this bloke on, he just said, he just wanted to be called Cyril. And, uh, and he just, I got this piano and he was just banging the piano with his <laughs> fists and stuff. You know? And I went right to go and drag him off. And I'm sort of going, oh, he's on children's television next week now. Like, Fuck off, I'm playing the piano. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It was, but it was, you know, but it felt like that. Even when I when when I was doing it, it felt like there was 
there's every chance it could just be someone who was properly mentally ill yeah, rather yeah, than just yeah. comedian mentally yeah, ill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, where, and there's a, a big blurred area in the middle of that anyway. But it was, you know, there was some properly... I mean, there's, it's, it's like with that open spot thing, it's, people are either very nervous and scared, which is a natural reaction, or just ridiculously confident. And often the best people are ridiculously confident, and, but also the very yes. worst people are ridiculously Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's like, like that in most things, isn't it? You see that in sport or something. You'll get yeah. the person will go, yeah, I can play cricket or whatever, and then the, the bold first ball. And they, don't, they rarely get to go out into a major game, though, do they? That's, that's <laughs> most <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, you can play, can you? Oh, you can go for England. Like test matches. <laughs> <laughs> well, opening the banner for England is Neil from the pub. Oh, fucking easy, isn't it? What do we hit a fucking ball, isn't it? <laughs> oh dear! Uh, and uh, um, and uh, I was reading you on you on quite a lot, a lot of the early loose ends or the earlier loose ends. Radio yeah, shows well, Ned Sheeran was. Uh, yeah. Well, I did. A, I actually did a thing about about cricket, and he was a cricket fan, and so he he was. Uh, he said, "Oh, can you? Yes, would it be lovely if you could come back and do something regular?" And I went on and. Um, went on there quite regularly, and yeah. that was yeah. That's probably that's about the first time I suppose that I thought, oh, that'd be you know the exciting thing where you do something, and then it's not just the people in the room that have heard it, and someone comes up and goes, oh, I heard you on that program. <laughs> that's a thrill, isn't it? When that yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, and it, they always had like a, a, a quite an eclectic mixture of oh, you'd people meet on those mad shows. people on there. <laughs> I went to Joseph Heller. Right. Joseph Heller, I remember, in, going, and he come round the pub, and I sort of Brit Eckland, <laughs> and then sort of there was this little tradition, and Ned Sheeran would would go into the little pub that's just next to the BBC and go, you know, I shall buy the first round, and you just sort of he'd go up and get them to be pork pies, yep. and you'd just be sat there with with uh, with Brit Eckland in the corner <laughs> of the pub and stuff. I don't know, it's quite yeah. quite odd thing that, isn't it? To be, you know, when you first meet people like that, and then you know, God. <laughs> Brickland, the pub. <laughs> Joan Bakewell. Yeah. Gary Glitter, I read. Do you, do you yes, him? he was on one once. Yeah, I met mean, him. Yeah. Yeah, exciting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've met one of Britain's leading paedophiles. <laughs> he lived in, I grew up in Cheddar and Somerset, he lived in Wedmore with his 15 year old girlfriend. It was fine at the time, no one minded. Uh, so, different, it was a different time. Yeah. As long as the mum and dad said it was okay, it was all right. That was how, that's how it yeah, was. Yeah, that's right, wasn't it? Better, to, better times. <laughs> you had to ask the mum and dad, do you mind if I live with your 15-year-old daughter? Yeah. If they said yes, that was okay. Yeah, as long as you'd come out and sing hello, hello, and back again every now and again <laughs> for the neighbours. <laughs> Raise money for the allotment. Can't do it these days. Fucking political correctness gone mad, hasn't it? Can't do nothing. See, once we're out of the EU, they'll scrap all them fucking regulations. <laughs> got a couple of number one records, you'll be able to go back there with your 15-year-old daughter again. <laughs> and, um... Fucking terrible, isn't it? Can't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly honourable man ruined by the EU with their fucking <laughs> paedophilic red tape. If he'd gone and lived in the EU, it'd have been fine. That's the irony, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> angry people are so angry. <laughs> Why aren't we leaving? Should have left. We voted to leave. Why haven't we left? We are leaving. Yeah, what? We should be leaving. <laughs> well, we are leaving. Well, right, well, we should come back in then and then leave again and do it twice a week. I'll fucking teach them to be Belgian. I was, 
I was listening to a, um, a James O'Brien. He's yes. really funny to listen to James O'Brien. He's this phoning on LBC because he just does this. He does it all with this sort of tired, fed up sort of. And he's very erudite. And he just got oh, his old program. He's just going, oh, Jesus, like that. And there was one, there's a brilliant one. I just, I've watched it about five times, as you can see it on the YouTube thing. And a bloke goes, uh, yeah, well, you know, we could probably trade now with every, you know, everyone we're going to trade with, you know, who we want to trade with now. We're not in a year, won't we? Better off. He said, oh, right, well, who are we, we going to trade with now that's going to make up for the EU, <sighs> Dave? Well, you know, all them places we used to run. We can trade with them again, can't we? He said, what? What do you mean? He said, and he, honestly, he said, well, I mean, we used to run three thirds of the world, didn't we? <laughs> and it, <laughs> <laughs> and he just, and he's brilliant, this bored way that he goes, yeah, that, Dave, that's all the world. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, don't matter. One of them thirds, you know, it's all them thing. But, and then he, he goes, right, he says, now, he says, oh, now, if they don't want to sell us, you know, the cars, wine, whatever, he's right, if they don't want to sell us that, right, we get, we get back at them, right, we say, when you want to come to this country, right, you queue up all day, we're not going to let you in, nothing, right, eight hours, customs, all that, right, there you are, that'll fucking, you know, I wouldn't swear, but, you know, that'll sort it, you know, that was, Oh, James Ryan went, okay. He said, but then they're going to do the same to you if, if you want to go to France. And he went, yeah, but I don't want to go to France. <laughs> <laughs> but this bloke thinks Britain's entire economic and political strategy for the next 50 years should be based on where he wants to go on holiday. <laughs> We're trading with France, right? I don't want to go there. What's the point of that? I want to have a blue passport, but I don't want to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must be, I mean, in, in the, it must be great for you, all of this, in, in terms of your, your fantastic columns you write for The Independent now. Oh, that well, you've, got, you've got the, all of these. I mean, it's, it's, is it harder to write about these, about these things because they're so ridiculous? Or is it, I mean, you see... No, you want, for doing that column I do, you just need someone to have said something mad, yeah. really. And then you're... you're you're away, yeah. So something, something like that. That bloke's brilliant. Because yeah. <laughs> then you can follow that logic through. I suppose is the thing. Yeah, it's not. I can't. I'm, it's not a place for writing any sort of nuanced art. <laughs> <laughs> and people take it serious. It's a brilliant thing with the. I mean, I suppose people always did, but they didn't have a voice. But now, so no matter how mad a thing you put, you know, people all on the comments and Twitter and that. Then you get all the stuff. That's ridiculous what you're saying. It's men not. Don't take it literally. No, you can't. So oh, there was one I put. I loved one I put uh, about Putin, and I referred to him. Oh, I think I've got the words right. It's about three weeks ago. I referred to Putin as um, uh, a homophobic gangster, racist, criminal, oligarch, thug, moron, idiot, or something. And and someone wrote a reply going. Any criticism of Putin from you, Mark? No, I thought not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not enough. <laughs> Didn't call him a cunt, mate, did you? That's the trouble. Well, it, it does feel like from Twitter it feels very much... You know, I'll, I'll joke about most things, and, and there's certain subjects that will you'll get people going, why are you doing... You, exactly that. Why are you joking about Corbyn? Why are you joking about Trump? Yeah, Why are you joking about yeah. Brexit? You wouldn't joke about the opposite. You wouldn't, you know... You, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yet you are doing all those jokes and then everyone's homing in on the one that yeah. affects them, which used to be like a comedy club. There'd be one person go laughing and then you'd make a joke that was too close to their home for them. Yeah, and they'd go, yeah, yeah. And they'd get upset and yeah. you go, you're an idiot. Look, you know, you've been laughing at all the other things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah. now people just sort of bl almost blinkered to not even see it when you're... 
it's probably no more than it was. They're just people who just, and they take everything literally. It's probably not many people. I was doing a joke actually about how uh, there's no, there's nothing you could write. There's no collection of words you could write on Twitter that wouldn't <laughs> offend someone somewhere. I would say you, you could put, I'm enjoying a delightful sunset across Dorset this evening. And someone would put, not so delightful if you suffer from sunset aversion <laughs> Dorset syndrome, actually. But <laughs> have a thought for sad sufferers in future, please. And this is true. I wrote something about, I mentioned, uh, I did a bit about Trump. And I, just, I don't know, I can't remember what I put, but I mentioned in passing he, he was a psychopath, right? <laughs> I like four people, of all the replies got, four people sent me messages saying, please don't add to the stigma against psychopaths. <laughs> They're suffering as well, you know. <laughs> They've got nowhere to put their salad because their fridge is full of heads. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, were, you were in the Socialist Workers' Party? I yeah, I was, man. yeah, yeah. I joined it when I was about 18, yeah. So what attracted you to, to that? Oh, God, how do I say this without being incredibly tedious? <laughs> well, I was sort of... Um, when I was a teenager, I thought, oh, I'm, I like the idea of socialism and stuff. It doesn't seem fair. You know, the people at the top of society, they're not the best people. They're the people who, and they're certainly not the people you'd want in charge. Oh, I don't know, don't like that. I mean, things may be very cross. And this was the late 70s as well. So it was a very, it was a very fervent sort of atmosphere. It was a very, much more than now, polarised situation. Mm. I think what had happened is that the, the post-war sort of boom, if you like, where everything seemed, everything must have felt like it was getting a little bit better every year in the 50s and 60s for yeah. working class people. And that sort of kept a little consensus going, kept things sort of calm. But then in the 70s, when the first post-war crash happened, the older gen, loads of the older generation became furious. They hated, the, they seemed to blame us. Look at you with your long hair and all that sort of thing. So it made, uh, uh, so it very polarised. And then obviously a lot of people in... Uh, uh, a lot of people blamed it, blamed the the sudden breakdown in society as they saw it on all sorts of, you know, on black people and stuff like that. So there was the rise of National Front. So I, I, that was the time. And, but socialists seemed to, they, it was Russia. Russia was a communist country. And I thought, well, that's rubbish. You know, that can't be, that can't be an ideal. So the Socialist Workers' Party, they were against the Soviet Union. Mm. So that sort of a, a Attracted me to that, really. Yeah. Um, you know, if only I'd spotted that they were mental. <laughs> 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 but, I, th but that side of it was... That side of it, I, you know... And I, well, I'd stand by that. I don't think the Soviet Union was in any way fucking no, terrible, horrible dictatorship. Yeah, but it's similar. I mean, like you're saying, it's interesting that politics is becoming that divided again. And people, bit, yeah. people are very passionate. Uh, the people on the left who are more on the left are very passionate again about those socialist ideas and you know and very intransient to to, to um you know to anyone criticizing it so it's, quite, it's you can understand the passion of it and as a young person getting yeah. caught up in the passion and the right you know it's it's right you know i think most people most people attracted by corbyn are they uh, they are do think things through properly but of course there's a there's a number of people who will just go anyone makes any criticism of anything rather than go okay right well let's all right, maybe there's something in what they say. Maybe we're, or at the very least, maybe we're not getting our ideas across 
properly, so maybe we should rethink how we... Instead of that, they just go, oh, so you, you fascist, you fucking... Blah, 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 and off they go. And then, yeah. of course, you, you know... But they're the people who go on Facebook and all yeah. that, you know, the angry, you know, don't... Don't <laughs> don't add to the stigma against psychopaths, people. <laughs> <don't they? laughs> yeah, and you stood for the London Assembly, and you, yeah, you got oh, quite a lot was, of votes. No, I didn't. Was, <laughs> <laughs> you did better now, Murray. Those, those stupid thing to do, which is quite stupid. You can't if you're a comic. I got asked to do it, and I, it was probably an ego thing. I thought, oh, that'd be fun, but it was a bonkers thing to do to stand for your comic because you can't take anything seriously. It's hard to. You know, you'd be, I'd get up at a thing and do a few jokes and that and think, oh, that went well. Not, <laughs> not a single bird, you've just got people, well, that funny bloke, I'm not voting for him. <laughs> so that's not, I do, my, my favourite moment of it was, it got me no votes, which was outside this college and we were giving out some leaflets and there were these two like, young lads and that, like 17 and that. And, uh, uh, and they took a leaflet and one of them went, like, blood, this is like, this is good shit, bruv. You get me in it? Like, you know what I mean, bruv? This is just what I want from you, you know? Like, I'm going to vote for you, bruv. And his mate says, uh, you can't vote, man, you know? You've got to be 18, you're only 17, innit? And he says, I can get around that, I've got connections, bruv. <laughs> he goes... <laughs> <laughs> I loved him for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you think, because like, I sort of sometimes think maybe, you know, comedians might be a, a better... No, the comedians are quite intelligent and thoughtful people, and like if they, if you actually, and occasionally this has happened where a, 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 you know comedians got a political movement going and it's sort of done in Italy and places. And well, it's we're recording out. this uh, on the day when um, Eddie's gone on to yep. the national executive of the Labour Party. But well, I think I mean, yeah, good luck to him. I really like Eddie, and I think he'll do he'll do really well. But you you can't do that and be a comic. That's because well, especially not now because people will just miss it if you do a joke. You know, then it's just going to be all over the, the... Even people who know exactly what they're doing, they're just going to misinterpret it, aren't they, and put your joke... John O'Farrell, um, who wrote a book about being in the Labour Party, and he, in this book, Things Can Only Get Better, it was a really good book about being in the Labour Party for the Thatcher years, and he mentioned about how, for a moment at the time, when the Brighton bomb happened there was a moment where he, he thought, good. He said, and then he thought, I hated myself for thinking that and all that sort of thing. But he's just a very honest thing about his, you know, when he was 22 and it happened and all that. And then when he stood for election, that was the front page in the newspapers because yeah. they went, look, you know, Labour candidate is mad terrorist, bombing person. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, God, if they were to trawl through all the things, <laughs> imagine now, if I was to stand for election now, <laughs> Labour candidate wants debate on cunt or wanker shot. <laughs> <laughs> we, contacted, we contacted uh, the people in charge of the Robert Robinson estate. We are shocked and angered at Mr Steele's sad, sick comments. Yeah. <laughs> we, we still feel his death every day. The trick is to do so much stuff that it's impossible for any journalist to have the time to listen through it all. That's, that's my hope for becoming, becoming Prime Minister. What do you mean I said I wanted the audience to be killed? What? I never said that. <laughs> He's calling for his own side to be murdered. Is this the man we want in charge? Yes! He can do no wrong! Um, so, well, look, I'm very interested in... I, I didn't see this, uh, the show you did about uh, finding your... Your uh, your birth parents, or finding out about your birth mm. parents, because you were as, as many comedians are. 
yeah. were adopted. A disproportionate amount of yeah, yeah, comedians yeah, yeah. seem to I'm be adopted. I'm not sure. Well, you know, Stuart. Stuart and Rob Newman and yeah, yeah. Rona Cameron. Yeah, quite a lot are adopted. Uh, but... Uh, well, I, well, the short sort of uh, the short version of this story. Uh, so I was adopted. I had no, I had no interest in trying to pursue my natural mother, or fa- well, certainly not my father. So I was brought up in Swanley, which is a little sort of working class town in Kent. And then all I knew is that the, the um, my aunt, woman I came to know as my aunt, she had been living in a flat in West London, and this woman moved in next door, in the next door sort of flat in the same house. And she was 19 and she was obviously in a right state. And my aunt said to her, you know, what's the matter, love? And she said, I'm pregnant, I've run away from home, I don't know what to do. And so my aunt said, well, my brother and his wife live in a place called Swanley in Kent. They want to have kids and can't have kids. Why don't you have the baby and, and give it to them? And that's pretty much what happened. It was yeah. like, you know, before, before the EU meddled around and made us <laughs> fill in loads of forms when you want yeah. to give a baby away. You can just go up to a pregnant woman and say, yeah, we'll take that baby. Yeah, we'll have it. No Honestly, I reckon you'd have to fill in more forms now to get a guinea pig. Than <laughs> so so that, that was my adoption. And my aunt used to tell me that story. And all she ever told me about my father was she said, oh, yeah, um, Francis, that was my natural mum's name. She said, Francis used to say that uh, the father was French. So I say the show, you know, so as I got older, I'd tell that to people and they'd say things like, that explains why you like cheese. And that, <laughs> so there was no, there was none of that. And I was, always knew I was adopted. There was never one of them yeah. things, you know, Mark, you know, you're six, time you learnt something. One of those things. There's something to tell you. You're very special. <laughs> yes, you are, because you were chosen specially. You're not like the other boys and girls whose mummies and daddies have to keep them even if they hate the bastards. <laughs> because you're special. So there was none of that. And not, I just grew up no interest. Till I had a son of my own. Sounds cliche, but then I, I, for the first time I thought, oh, yes, she will remember me. You do remember having a kid, don't you? <laughs> I thought, up to then I thought, oh, she'd be bothered. That was ages ago. And, um, uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, very few people have kids. And then years later go, oh. didn't we used to have a child? <laughs> so, so I thought I'd try and find her. And I went to some length to try and find her. It took years and years. And, uh, and then I'd stop for three years and then start again and so on. And then I had one of these sort of people who's now on the telly, this woman, who's extraordinarily efficient at finding people. Okay, Mark, because a little a bit of information came through from uh, some, I can't remember where now, that showed that she was Scottish, that my natural mother was Scottish. And her family had moved down from Scotland to North London. And they'd been, uh, and then I'd been born at, at this time. And she owned a delicatessen in this little town called Dunkeld in Scotland. And once I got this bit of information, I thought, oh, we've got the address. I took it to one of these people who manages to locate people. And she was all, oops, marvellous, delicatessen. We've got all these different forms, everything. Absolutely splendid. Don't worry, give me about two weeks and I'll be able to get straight onto it. And so she she found the natural mother in Rimini. And she got in touch with her uh, because we sent a letter. The natural mother didn't reply. So then because this woman had a phone number, she rang her up, and then she reported the phone call back to me. And she said, it was extraordinary, Mark. She said, I'm afraid she didn't, she, she certainly doesn't want to meet you. She said, but she, I did manage to keep her on the phone. 
she said, and eventually she said, I would like to ask three questions. <laughs> right. She said, the first question was, what does he do? And I said, well, he's a comedian. The second question was, does he have any children of his own? I said, he does, he has a son and a daughter. She said, and then she asked a third question. I have to say, in all the many years that I've been performing this role of reconnecting erstwhile estranged members of the family, like lost pieces of a jigsaw or whatever. She said, in all those years, not once do I remember anybody ever asking such a question as that which she then posed. <laughs> she said, and what are his politics? And that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. That is an extraordinary thing to, to think. So, um, and then she said, and then she said, before I put the phone down, let me tell you who the father is. And so I, I thought, she's the father, because I'd never had any, any hint. I'd never even occurred to me to even ask who the father was. You know, I just thought it was some random French bloke, 1960. <laughs> what is your name, Francis? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to accompany me to the bus shelter? <laughs> <I don't, laughs> And I thought, what, the father? And I thought, I did honestly, for about a second, I thought, I bet it's de Gaulle. <laughs> and, then I, and, and she said this name, Joe Dweck. And we looked up Joe Dweck, and fairly quickly it became apparent that this man, my actual father, was, amongst other things, the 1976 world backgammon champion, <laughs> who then invested his money that he'd made out of becoming the world backgammon champion which was millions, into Wall Street, and he became one of the Wall Street traders, worth more millions than you could count. And his best mate, the circle in which he moved, I mean, not just who he had to drink with, the circle in which he moved was a group of people at the Claremont Club in um, Barclay Square. And the Claremont Club was the establishment club where the richest people in the world, the Arab millionaires, whatever, the Russian, well, before the Russian oligarchs, but those sorts of people would come and meet and they would play backgammon. And his closest confidants that he went round the world with was these people, older people that remember the name, Tiny Rowlands, Jim Slater, <laughs> Kerry Packer, and Lord Lucan. <laughs> and uh, so he was part of that, right. part of that world. <laughs> So if I'd, all of that had happened and I'd not been able to write a decent show about <laughs> it, <laughs> that would have been really poor, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's pretty but, amazing. Well, and your, your mum was very socialist and that he's very... Yeah, 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 she so. was, yes. Well, I met, I met, the, uh, I met my natural mother's sisters. Right. Uh, after, no, before, before she died at first. Um, but... I never met your natural mother. She stayed in Italy, didn't want to know. But I met them, yeah, and they, it was extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary business sort of meeting them. And they were, yeah, they were all, they were all very sort of on the left, and then he's clearly not on the left. <laughs> <laughs> One of the only communist, multi-millionaire, Wall Street trader, <laughs> backgammon champions, friends of Lord Lucan. <laughs> all the arguments we used to have. <laughs> And you, met, and you did meet him, though. I you did meet him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, a Sephardic, Sephardic Jew from Egypt. Right. Nothing to do with France at all. Okay. That was a lie. That's why you like cheese. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cheese. why you like pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you like Toblerones. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but I, I don't know, no, it does seem like it's, it's a very, very strange, very strange yeah. thing, you know, but... Doesn't make any has made any difference other than I've written this show about it. But yeah. he bought me a cup of coffee when I met him, so 
That's. I mean, he didn't know. Well, he thought that you'd been uh, got rid of. Yes, he thought that. Um, he, he when he met me, he told me. Well, he'd already told me this in an email. He said that when he uh, that the last he'd known about Francis was she'd got in touch with him and said that she was pregnant, and he had then uh, met up with her and borrowed some money from his dad who had arranged an abortion right uh, which was a tricky thing to do in 19 um you know probably pre-1967 yeah um so he says in the email anyway so uh you know so that's what he said so then so then when i when i met him he said oh i said you know and he was i'd sort of imagine him being very jewish which he is very jewish <laughs> but he doesn't actually talk like that but he said oh you know sort of um last i knew you know <laughs> you were Last I heard, like I said, in the, you know, and I said, yeah, don't worry. I said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm actually in touch with her family now. So if you like, I can ask for the money back that they obviously owe you. <laughs> and he went, he sort of went, mm. and I said, Could you? I said no, it was a better joke than that in the circumstance. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then, <laughs> just, it's weird if you're in that situation and you discovered you had like a son you didn't know about. I mean, it's hard to imagine, I suppose. It's yeah. possible. But, yeah. you know, you'd think... Yeah, I would be. I'd think, whoa, <laughs> this is exciting, wouldn't I? You wouldn't just go, eh, meet up, have a cup of coffee, and then and then we've not met again since. No. But, you know, I got on with him, but I don't know. I should imagine if we carried on meeting, bit by bit, differences of opinion might begin to emerge. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed all right. I liked him. Yeah. You've got to get in there. There's a lot of money there, Mark. Yeah. Some of that's yours. Yeah, I know. <laughs> is, is he it? owned a house, right? <laughs> he owned a house worth that he bought for $11 million in California and he bought it off of Luther Vandross, the soul singer. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one ass class, isn't it? <laughs> Not just any $11 million <laughs> Californian extra house. Yeah. Oh, I only buy houses if they're off soul singer. <laughs> <laughs> got, got a bungalow from Diana Ross. <laughs> It's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary story, which you did as a, a show, as any comedian of course, yeah. would be delighted yeah, to course. find that. That's, uh, that's, that's how rotten we are. <laughs> Something like that can emerge in your life, and you think, oh, thank fuck for that. That's Edinburgh sorted. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite rare to hear a story where the, you know, the people find their birth family and the birth... I mean, I, I know the... Uh, the the ants and stuff have, have, have yeah, seen more of that. Yeah. But most, mostly it's a, a sort of happier... Outcome than that in, in well, terms that's of the thing meeting the, up and yeah. If it was a if, if it was a soap opera, it'd all be tears and things, wouldn't it? But it's not. It's not really. It's not really really going to be like that. I think that was a happy ending in a way because yeah. you know I sort of met him and we got on and that was all right and you know off we went. That was, you know, I don't know. That was a, a that was all right really. I don't and you're not going to. That's also, I do say, I mean, I, oh, I'm trying to remember now in the show, because I said, yeah, one of the consequences of it was, of course, from then on, whenever I saw a, an episode of Who Do You Think You Are, <laughs> I'd go, I can piss on that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> really, Sebastian Coe, your ancestors were slave owners. Well, that's, that's took us all by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian Coe, cunt or wanker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might be, might be both. And uh, you've, your son is a comic as well. Yeah. So how, how are you finding that? That's sort of, in my, I don't really want to do this to them, but I sort of have a joke about training my children up to be right. super comedians and taking vengeance on 
the world for not realising how brilliant I was. <laughs> is that is that how you view it with your son? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, he, he, do, he goes his own way, which yeah. is right, really. And for a long while, he, every now and again, he'll, he'll sort of say, oh, how do you reckon this should work or something, and then take no notice of me. But <laughs> there were certain things... I would say this, I know, this is true. There were two moments where I thought, oh, that is a comic sort of way of thinking. It was what, he was nine, so this would be... Yeah, I know it's 12 years ago because it was three World Cups ago, right? So <laughs> and it uh, does matter because it, so it was leading up to a little bit before this time of year when they did the draw for the World Cup, right? And I, I, so he was nine and I said, Elliot, I said, the World Cup draw's on. Do you want to come and watch it? And he went, what's the point? Even if we're drawn against Easter Island, we'll lose to the statues. <laughs> <laughs> nine, that's pretty good, isn't it? And then, I often sort of told this story, but he was uh, um, a mate who he's still very much mates with, uh, who's Polish. He introduced me to this lad who's Polish. And uh, he said, is my new mate, Dad, Polish? And I said, oh, it's how are you doing? He said, oh, don't worry, Dad. He said, I'll do jokes all the time. He said, I don't, I don't miss any opportunity. I'll do jokes all the time about, about Poland. I said, all right. He said, yeah, especially about the war. He says, because they'd have been stuffed without us in the war. I said, I'll do jokes about it all the time. I said, do you? Right, listen. Right, you know the battle, right, at the start of the war, right? The RAF, all that, Spitfires, right? It meant Hitler couldn't come here. He went, oh, Battle of Britain, Battle of Britain, right? I said, one in five of the pilots, you know where they come from? Hmm? Poland, right? And he turned straight to his mate, he said, see, you were nicking our jobs even back then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, and he was useless at everything else, just like <laughs> comics. It's a weird book, you know. Being, I think being a comedian's a, a great job, and I love mm. it myself. But it's sort of a weird thing to wish on someone else as well, isn't it? It's, there's a, it's a nerve-wracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, as a parent. God, the nerves. When I've seen him go, I'm not quite so. Right now the first two or three times I've yeah. seen him walk on, and oh, just the nerves of it. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen him go really badly, so... But, yeah, then he's sort of... I know, well, this is, you know, this what anyone says when I said, oh, he's going to do stand-up. What all the other comics say is you'll know when he's, if he's going to stick at it, not because he's gone well, but because he's gone badly. Yeah, yeah. And then still... Because any normal, sane person <laughs> going through the experience of going in front of people and having them all just go, fuck off, mate, and all that, and shut up, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> Wenko, Wenko and all that. <laughs> you Normal people would go, I'm not doing that again. But and the comic goes, I'm going to do that again tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he clearly did. And, but it's, I think it's harder now for the, you know, there seems to be so much competition now. And as you say, it's, it's more homogenised in terms of what the circuit is. And, when, you know, even when I started the circuit, it felt like there's 40, 50 people doing it, maybe. Oh, no, there's you know, thousands, yeah, isn't yeah. there? So it just, it just, I just don't know how anyone can even see their way through that. Well, the odd thing, you know, when at those days, if you said you were a comedian, it was like saying you were an astronaut. Oh, <laughs> oh, do you hear that? Oh, and that, but now people go, oh yeah, my neighbour's kids are both doing stand up. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's doing it. They, it's, yeah. it's easy, Mark. That's the thing. It's an easy, it's an easy <laughs> well, ride. There's a thing in me, in me shows about the towns and the radio. Yeah. So. I like, I mean, it depends really on people in the towns. And it, every time, it's never failed this bit. There are people in the towns who are passionate about their town and can see it 
how it would be funny from a, an outside point of view. So they go, oh, you've got to come and look at this mad thing we do here. And they're very passionate, very funny about it. And then they'll sit in front of an audience and tell a story. So the last one I did in the last series was Hull. And there was oh, a couple of really, I mean, the people in the audience, was what, there's, there's a little plinth thing by the harbour uh, that they put because Hull was city of culture. And you, you speak into this thing. This is astonishing. And about a quarter of a mile down this straight road, there's a tower. <laughs> and whatever you say in this little plinth lights up on this tower. So you could, you know, you could say, I'm doing a podcast. And it'll say, I'm doing a podcast. And come up in big lights, which I find utterly staggering that this can happen. So, of course, what did every single person <laughs> in Hull... Yeah, go on. Fuck shit, bitch, won't bollock, fuck shit. <laughs> so they had to reprogram this thing. <laughs> so that it didn't put up swear words. So I said to the audience on the night, I said, so what's the rudest word anyone's managed to say into it and it's come up? And straight away a bloke went, Leeds! <laughs> and uh, oh, that's a cracking, yeah. cracking bit of improvising, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's got to be able to do it more than once. The yeah, thing yeah, with yeah, a heckler yeah. is if you get one, shut up forever. That's the, if you get the, yeah, you yeah, get the yeah. brilliant heckle, yeah. either become a comedian or shut up forever. Yeah, yeah. Because you'll never, you'll never beat it. I was watching in the dressing room uh, the Mark Steele lectures. I was just thinking um, for, that you did on... Was that Channel 4 or...? BBC 4. BBC 4. And um, I was just thinking that would... Would, that, would anything like that get made now? It's like incredibly... Uh, so these are, these are your lectures about... Yeah, historical figures, so Aristotle lucky. I was yeah, watching, yeah. and Darwin. Mm. And they're, they're so erudite. I mean, A, it's so hard to get any stand-up on TV now. It's all panel yeah. shows and it's all, yeah. you know, presenting jobs. But it's, it just, it, it's not that long ago. It's like no, 13, 10, 12 years yeah. ago, yeah. And, yeah. and it just, it, it almost seemed like comic that that was allowed. It was a very funny show. Well, I think we were you think, why have they allowed a comedian to go and talk about Aristotle? This is insane. Yeah, but of course it was, isn't insane. And, it, and we'd sort of tried to do it, the rules of it as, as stand-up. So actually yeah. jokes all the way through, but telling the real yeah, story yeah. of Aristotle and what he was about and stuff. Yeah, I, I love doing that. Because at first I had to find out, really what, like try to fathom out what these people were about. And you'd go, and I did one on Einstein. And of course, this was driving me. I'd read the same two pages about the theory of relativity <laughs> over and over. My lad was about eight at the time. And I remember what I was sat in the bath and then I looked up at my lad and he must have been stood there for a while. He went, oh, my God, my dad sat in the bath talking about the speed of light. <laughs> and uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going nuts here. But, but yeah, they made, they let us do it. And... Uh, I think it was because BBC Four was just starting at the time, yeah. and so they sort of go, oh, "We don't quite know how we're going to sort of run this thing." So you go off and make that because I've done it on the radio, yeah. And oh, it was brilliant fun. Yeah, I mean, you got to you and Aristotle, you were in Greece and by yeah, the Parthenon, yeah. and yeah, that was great, brilliant fun. Yeah. That one because there was um, you go to these places and they have someone who's supposed to show you round. So the BBC have someone designated person who's their Athens person, but this bloke he was just like a Greek comedy character, and he hadn't done anything. And he said, "Oh, we've got all these locations for you to film in." And when we got there, he said, oh, I've got to admit, like, I haven't really done nothing. And, uh, and so we had to just do it on street corners and stuff. And we had to sneak in, like John Peel just sneaking into places with secret cameras. And that was brilliant fun, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's Not for any great, you know, great no, no, investigative it, I, reason. It was just so I could do a well, it was, silly it's, joke about Aristotle while stood that's by not Colin. True. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was jokes in it, and it's really funny, but it is completely educated. You find out all about those... 
There's a lot of work in there. So they're all like a little Edinburgh, half an hour Edinburgh yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. I'm about trying to think about what his... was... If my favourite one was there, there was one about... I think it was about Noel Edmonds, actually. It was like, it was, it was what makes something, Aristotle was concerned with what makes something what it is. And he said, every, everything has an essence of what, so a thing could, so a table can be, that could be, you could sort of plane it, you could maybe even chop a leg off it, you could do all sorts of things to it, it would still remain a table. But there is an essence inside it that makes it a table. If you remove that, then it ceases to be what it is. For example, Noel Edmonds keeps changing. He was on the radio, then he was on the television, then he's just in the newspapers, but remains throughout, in essence, a deeply nauseating twat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and somehow, somehow we were allowed to say that. It's <laughs> a way of explanation of Aristotle's theory. <laughs> that explains why. But I think comedy is such a great way to get you know, information across. People will, in, you know, people will enjoy something and it makes complicated ideas digestible, I think. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I just remembered, actually, because they, 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 uh, it was sponsored by the Open University and they was, the, their, their sort of lecturers were, were split. Some of them really liked it, right. uh, but some of them just hated it because you can imagine not taking the subject seriously. It's absolutely demeaning to the whole practice. Education is just plummeting downhill with this nonsense, <laughs> frivolous, irrelevant, all this sort of thing. So... And there was one bloke on the Darwin programme. We had to go and meet him for the day and we sent him the script and he hated it. And he went through every single little bit going, that bit there, that's wrong there, that should, should have a comma there, surely, rather than a semicolon. I would think it's important to get... And then, and, uh, I know, but it, when we say it... <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you get things right or not. Do you care? <laughs> and then, oh, there was a... Uh, the, Ship's doctor that Darwin replaced when he went on the Beagle, the trip where he went around the world, you know, and, and that led to him discovering the theory of, of natural selection. So uh, it was called McCulloch, and he said, look at this, this here, McCulloch, you've spelled him with one C, two C's and McCulloch, everybody knows that, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and every page, McCulloch again there, to make that a difference there. I'll try and say it with both C's. <laughs> very well being frivolous about it but these things matter <laughs> and I, I swear this happened he said look at this this quote here this is very important this quote here you, you've attributed to Darwin Darwin said no such thing where on earth did you get this it's absolutely scandalous if we're going to try and pass this off as a programme about Darwin when it clearly isn't anything remotely close to the truth where on earth did you get that and it was, so it was like a, a, a moment you dream about because I thought I know where I got that I got that from your book <laughs> and I, and I, I said, I said, I got that from your book. And he just went, then the next page. <laughs> Brilliant fun doing it, though. Yeah. It's, you know, is, it, is it a shame that those that, that couldn't happen now? Or do yeah, you think it could know. happen now? Could it happen now? Probably not. I mean, you'd do it as a podcast now, but then it would be a podcast without you going to happen. So yeah, yeah. Or they'd really do, do it as a panel show, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you could do it on your own, you know, and you could, but then... Yeah, yeah, I suppose you know, so. I mean, it would still, interesting, I think, you know, you're still obviously doing radio shows and you, the, ra the radio is a place where you, they'll let you experiment yeah. a bit more than the TV, I think, now. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think loads of comics are trying. There's loads of brilliant things on there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. 
But that's, I don't know, that's great. I can't grumble, can I? I did it three years of it. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> I want to do more of it. I want to go to more silly countries. Yeah, but Brilliant. I couldn't believe they sent us. I mean, because to be honest, we didn't need to go to these places, but they, they sort of insisted. Right. And um, went to Bolivia to do the Che Guevara. But I think they sort of couldn't quite work out whether it was a serious documentary. Of course, if you're doing a serious documentary, right, you shall go to Bolivia or Cuba. The Cubans wouldn't let us in right. because they said the Che Guevara programme was too rude about Che Guevara. Right. And there was, uh, there was a joke in that. Oh, I can't remember that. It was about... Yeah, so there was no opposition uh, movements to the old the regime that Fidel Castro and Che Guevara overthrew, which was a dictatorial regime, as illustrated in the second Godfather film, right? So very corrupt. <laughs> and the, the ruler... There was only one opposition party allowed, but the opposition party leader somewhat sort of skewed his credibility uh, one because he had a radio show he was allowed every week and one week at the end of his radio show he shot himself and so I had a joke where I said I wonder if I wonder if uh, the Cuban radio was as sort of as cool as Radio 4 would be because then you just hear <laughs> that was the last of the series <laughs> by the leader of the opposition <laughs> <laughs> So, so it was full of stuff like that, and yeah. they just, you know, they just were furious. Well, this is you're just making mockery of Che Guevara, so they wouldn't let us, they wouldn't let us do it. So we had to go to uh, Bolivia, and it was, right. yeah, it was brilliant, yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> I remember we get, there was one bit we had to go on this. There was um, James Serafinovich, who some people might know, yeah. who was a brilliant, brilliant, big scouse bloke, and he was just uh, it, it, brilliant, but he was just. Uh, Huge bloke, but he gets scared very easily. <laughs> like the first time I was writing stuff with him, he was just, he just went, Oh fucking hell, oh god, oh fuck. And I thought something terrible was happening. What? He said, There's a wasp. And so he was like, <laughs> So this bus, we had to get this bus over this hill in, in Bolivia to where Che Guevara was shot. And uh, so this bus, and it was, there was some little old bloke smoking away on this little bus as it just went around these windy Italian job type sort of mountain passes. And the back end of the bus would go over this huge mountain. It was quite airy. Yeah. And he just lost it. We were about two miles away from where we were going, which was still going to take, he just lost it. And he went, he got up, he stood up the front. He went, right, stop the fucking bus. I'm getting off. We're all going to die. There's no point. I'm fucking, that's it. I'm fucking not, I'm just not going plummeting over the fucking edge. You can go over the edge if you want, but I'm fucking getting off. I'm walking. And so the guide woman, she was from Paraguay, she got up just really calmly. She said, um, that's fine. If you want to get off walk, it is straight road around here, you'll find. But I wonder whether a good idea for this area there is great many wolves. <laughs> Brilliant. Should have kept that in, shouldn't we? <laughs> oh. And you're on tour at the moment? Which I think you'll still, by the time this goes out, will just about still be on tour. Yeah, I think uh, so. so. We're always show? in tour, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, you've got, you got a website. You've reluctantly entered the yeah. website world according to your website. So marksteelinfo.com, is it? Or co co yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So the tour is every little thing's going to be all right. Every little thing's going to be all right, yeah. And what, well, I'm trying to be optimistic. Yeah about everything. Well, I tried to do sort of quite a bit of stuff about the, the, the mad sort of couple of years, really, that, um, that's happened. Uh, 
and then oh, and then all my own world went a little bit awar as well. So it's all, all about that. It's hard yeah. to sort of talk about that though without making it sound really miserable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be cheery. Up, you know, it's just sort of you just sort of think of jokes, aren't you? And you yeah. get I always feel real cheap when you get this. You know, people go. Oh, this must be a really, it must be a brilliant subject that you can really feel that you can get a convey a certain message. And you're just thinking, oh, I just want a, a joke. <laughs> yeah, joke. well, I think, but I sort of increasingly, it is, it is great, I think, if you can impart information and knowledge and ideas. And I think you should be trying to do all that as well. But ultimately, the, joke, the, the job is about making people laugh. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, doing that, we haven't made anyone laugh for about three minutes here. Uh, so, no, we're right. We're back we're on We're both astutely we're back. aware. We're both <laughs> astutely aware. <laughs> terrible, but, you know, yeah, but People have no idea. That, no idea that that's the terrible mind. That's the, what's going on in your mind. That if you were doing a speech that you, for your best mate, uh, uh, your best mate's funeral, that if, uh, if you went a minute without a laugh, you'd be thinking, fuck, I'm losing it. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes I think with this audience they're quite good yeah very good yes, I regret good, yeah. wishing death on them uh, and <laughs> I mean generally not just tonight generally you're, you're as good as all the other night's audiences uh, they, they're, they listen so the silence is, is often like a, an amazing thing in a comedy gig because if people are actually it's, if you get silence that's different. So they've than, all left. Well, they've all left, <laughs> or they're all listening. If there's a little, I think when I when I the first performance I ever did was in this absolutely piss poor poetry group. <laughs> Jeez, it was bad. And I tried then. That's the last time really I tried to do a serious thing without any jokes. And uh, I tried. I, I had this poem. I was about nineteen, and I was on the dole, and I was all angry, and I, I wrote this huge long poem. Uh, uh, about being unemployed, and it was uh, just appalling. And, <laughs> and it ain't the last two words, the last two lines were uh, addressed to Thatcher. Because of what I dread, I'd rather you were dead. Right, so that's how it ended. So that gives a measure of it. Right, and then we got booked to do a little. The poetry group got booked to do a little uh, an evening in Dulwich Village. Rather well-to-do place, uh, a poetry society there that met in this that met in this rather posh pub, and there was a back room, and there was about twelve people there, and they were ve they were really rather you know they weren't people that were uh, you know they hadn't weren't I, I hadn't bumped into any of them at the Dole office, <laughs> and, and so I thought I remember thinking I'm going to do this poem, and it's just going to explode everyone apart, and they'll either be sick, which will serve them right, or they'll say the young man's right, and they'll get a gun and go off and fight with the Sandinistas. Or and, I, and uh, so I did me pole angry because of what I'd dream, I'd rather you were dead. And then there was this silence, eh? and then it, they all sort of went. <laughs> and then this woman in a fur coat leant across and she said, I thought you did very well to remember all the words. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm not going to bother with that again. <laughs> That's pretty much it. But you know, laughter is the is the the main thing, and then uh, everything else. Leave them on a song. It's quite nice. We can do a song if you like. We, can, we do have to wrap up because uh, a van's coming to take me and these chairs back to <laughs> How things have changed? Uh, changed that square theatre podcast over the last six years. Um, we're not allowed to store the chairs in the theatre, so I've got to take them home. Oh God! In the van.
It's so downbeat, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I know, but when you do a show and you leave and that, and then five minutes after the show ends, there might have been five, six, seven hundred people there, and then they've all gone, and then they come out with an industrial fit. <laughs> and then you sort of leave, and one of the technicians is undoing something and that, and you just leave, and they go, see you then, mate. And it, <laughs> like you've delivered a parcel, you know. <laughs> I had a tech, this is so rarely happens, I had a tech... At the gig, I came up half time. She went, "That is amazing." And I came off the end of the half. She goes, "I'm gonna come and see you with my girlfriend and in uh, another." And then you just think, "That never happens." <laughs> no tech people ever come and tell you you did well. Yeah, that's <laughs> brilliant, <isn't it? laughs> that's one. So maybe I'm good now. If I've made one backstage person, you went to golf with George. He's not gonna. He's not gonna give us. He won't even say a thing. <laughs> he likes Maria Bamford. That's the, that's the, that's the only one he was excited about. Um, but it's, it's so great to have you on, Martin. Thanks oh, so thanks much for, for, uh, for coming along. And 36 years of being a stand-up comedian, something like that. Yeah, yeah, God. Is that a good thing? I think it is. I think, yeah. like, we were saying backstage, I think that whole thing of, you know, are people either get too too big and don't want yeah, to do stand-up? that. Or they stop... <laughs> Or they Who stop. wants that? They Who wants to do a podcast and immediately be on at the Albert Hall? <laughs> but you know, you don't. It's to be out to the, the to be able to keep playing to seven people <laughs> <laughs> from 1982. The same seven gradually they yeah, die off. Gradually, <laughs> better luck in five years. I'll do the same joke over and over again. <laughs> oh yes, that's funny. I think it's uh, no. It's I mean, you know. I think. For me, stand-up comedy is what the, what the job it actually is. So if you've managed to keep doing that for all those years and, yeah. and are still creating... What else that's would the, it be, then? The job creating. of stand-up comedian? <laughs> Other than stand-up comedy. Well, but, you know, lots of people become presenters. Or, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Or, yes, and don't yeah, do yeah, stand-up. Yeah. So yeah. I, think that's, I think that's the job. And if you keep doing the job and you keep on creating, which you are, you know, you do, you're writing a column every week, you're coming up with yeah. new material all the time. So that's, you know, I think... Like, well, the radio so thing, strangely, the radio show is, although it's, I have to write, I mean, we record about an hour uh, for each one, but strangely, that doesn't seem so difficult, you know, to write an hour about Bungie in Suffolk or something yeah. or wherever it is, because it's so specific. And, um, oh, and then we did Bedford in the... Well, for example, right, so yeah. Bedford, which is perfect for that radio series, because it's everyone's heard of Bedford, but you don't know much about it, no one knows much about it. And then it turns out there's a group there called the Panacea Society. And these people, in all honesty, believed, having studied the matter, that the Garden of Eden is in Bedford. <laughs> and there was... And there's a cult there. And at one point, there were 70 or 80 people living in this big house, <laughs> believing that the God... And they bought loads of property. And one of the houses has been left empty ever since. It remains empty because it's for Jesus when he comes back. <laughs> because last time, he, you know, they never planned it in advance, did they? So this time, that's why all that stuff with a manger. But that, <laughs> they've got a house all ready for him in Bedford. And they, but honestly, and there was, and there was this wonderful bit where there was a documentary about them a few years ago on Channel 4, and the oldest member, she's now died, so the last one's died out, but the oldest one, she was being interviewed, and in particular, she was being interviewed about the prophet, woman in the 18th century called Joanna Southcott, that believes they're prophet, and this, she wrote uh, loads of piles and piles of books, prophecies, including her conversations with the devil. And the woman being interviewed was right, she said, well, I've read them all, and exact words, she said... 
And I mean, I read her conversations with the devil, and I mean, the devil's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was really sweet <laughs> to be shot. I mean, it's one thing being the prince of darkness, but no need to forget your manners, is there? <laughs> I want your soul. Little word. Want your soul, please. That's better. So I just sort of, I don't when you find little things like that yeah. about a town, it's just, it's sort of, I know you say it writes itself, but it sort of does. Yeah. You could also turn up and go, I'm here. Where's my bedroom? Hello, it's me. Jesus, I'm back. <laughs> well, this looks nice. I'll live here. I'm going to try that. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, mass round of applause. Last guest of the series, Mark Leo. We're back in September, biatches. See you in September. Thank you very much. Good night. have been listening to Rich Tang's That's Square Theatre Podcast with me, Rich Tang, and my guest, Mark Steele. Thank you to Pest for doing all the work on playing the music and composing it and stuff for us. That was nice. I mean, it wasn't for us, but we just used it. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having me for another series. Thank you. We're doing some more in September if you want to come uh, in October and November. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide, especially Orange Mark for putting this out thank you to everyone at gofasterstripe.com especially Chris Evans not that one and uh, thank you to the camera and uh, sound crew down here at the Square Theatre including Craig Kinga George and all the other people who come along when Craig or George or Kinga can't come and thank you to I'm indebted to my producer Dave Gribb Thank you. This is a go faster. Thank you. This is a go faster stripe sky potato and fuzz production. We're off till September. Go to LeicesterSquareTheatre.com if you want to buy tickets to the upcoming shows. They're already selling, you know, a little bit. Uh, and also go to GoFasterStripe.com and pick up some emergency questions books to help us carry on making this shit. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy your summer. Bye.